What's up, Cal family? It's your boy, Rod Benson. Can you hear it in my voice? Two wins coming in hot. This ain't a week ago, brother. We came off two wins. I have the Cal Colorado game on right now. On in the background. And it's kind of funny because it started with uh, the TV broadcast down 10-0. It's a great time to jump into a game uh, (laughs) as they switch over from a Georgia game. But I was also at the USC game and I was at the UCLA game. And I guess I'll just say what I saw at the first two, but crystallize it with Colorado because Colorado... Uh, is a game I saw on TV. And it's way harder to to analyze a game when you see it in person versus when you see it on TV. Unless you see it really up close and you're paying attention the whole game. It's just hard. Uh, That said, to anyone I saw this last week in L.A., blessings, glad to have run into you. Uh, The first game was at USC. It's kind of a weird place for college basketball. It doesn't feel like a college basketball place. I mean, I used to play at the old sports arena back in the day, and uh, that feels the same. Like, I realized it, hadn't, it never had anything to do with the sports arena. It had to do with the fact that USC just doesn't really care about basketball. I mean, they got, like, a bunch of top recruits, including Bronny James, who was there, and he's electrifying. He's real good. Anyways, that's besides the point. It was hard to really analyze that game, uh, in part because I was, you know, saying hi to people, but in part because, frankly, it was just more of the same bad defense. And I won't stay on USC too long because I left early and then they came back. So I didn't see the end of that game. Uh, I understand there was a blunder. I could spend time going over it. Maybe I will in the next film session, but right now I'll just move on. UCLA, knowing how poorly I was able to digest USC, uh, I came in much more intent on seeing as much of the game, like paying attention to as much of it as possible. Now, I've been to Cal UCLA, at UCLA, maybe the past four out of the past five years. I don't know. I go all the time. And as a player, I played in that game. It's weird living in L.A. and feeling like no buzz about the game and then going, and obviously there's people there who care. And as a player, you know, I think there were times where Cal wasn't as hotly desired as an opponent, but it always felt special coming to UCLA. And almost never to USC. Big energy difference. We always get up for UCLA at UCLA. At least in my experience. Uh, Again, I don't know all the years past, but it's rarely a blowout. Like in my day, we were were more likely to lose by 10 to 15 uh, to UCLA at home than we were on the road. We won most of those games. So I don't know, there was a little bit of that energy to start. Then I got to say, really my only 
true analysis of this game, because when I get to Colorado, it'll incorporate a bunch of these themes, so I don't need to, to linger, but... Holy shnikes, guys. UCLA is bad. I saw the uh, in the message boards, uh, Mick Cronin was talking about essentially his players aren't smart enough or whatever, and I thought that was hilarious because you recruited him, guy. When you were raising money to start the season, weren't you asking your alumni, your boosters, your donors, your NIL for money for the guys you wanted and you sold them on the fact that you could win with them? No. Is that just me? That's how I interpreted it, sir? Bro, they're bad. And let, let's be 100 here. See, this is how you know, in case any Cal basketball staff actually listens to this, this is how you know I ride for Cal. We could win a million games. I'll never talk about y'all like this. But I'm going to give it to UCLA. Bro, they're really, really bad. I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think I've ever thought Mick Cronin was a good coach. I want to say maybe Fox's first year, or I don't know. It was like we played at UCLA, and the game was, oh, my God, it was brutal. It was like the final score was 38-36. But I remember seeing, like, Sharif uh, O'Neal on the bench for UCLA. Didn't get a minute. Didn't play at all. Maybe he played, like, two minutes. I don't know. He's the only player on either team that was, like, my height. Still slightly shorter. Like, a weird, small two teams. But we know he's good. I knew he, And then the game being a 39-37 game or whatever it was, I was like, Mick Cronin has all Americans on this team and can barely muster 39 points against this Cal team. So, yeah, they had some tournament success, but every now and then you get the right guys. It's clear Jaime Jaquez was no joke. But they are bad. I'm taking time to say that because that was also a really hard game to analyze. That's a game where you win and you feel good, especially after a series of losses, but not as good as you'd like to feel because the other team was just bad. You can feel it. Uh, uh, my old uh, D-League coach, and this is in the book, he came in one time after a game and he was like, that game was like, bleep, bleeping your sister. Uh, <laughs> it was good, but not as good as it should have been. And after I was done being like, what the hell did you just say? I was like, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Remove all that sister nonsense. There are games that just don't, you don't even really get a lot out of them in film. You're kind of just playing yourself. It was a boring game to be at, even though we won. Uh, even with the plays and the highlights, I don't know. It just wasn't, UCLA's just bad. All right, moving on. Colorado, which again, I was able to see the last seven minutes live. And the first, and then come back and rewatch because um, I had it on DVR. So, interesting way to see a game. I saw it when it was tight, and then we pulled it out. Having no idea we were down 20 until one of the commentators was like, Wow, what a comeback. They were down 20. 
So before I put this video on, I was like, okay, two wins in a row, first of all. There's got to be some numbers I'm not paying attention to. And two, you come back from 20, some things happen statistically in a game like that. I got to know what they are. <sighs> it pains me to say. Maybe you guys have already come to this conclusion based on my last video. And I'll get into a little bit more of the X's and O's, but let's lead with the meat and potatoes. Our boy Amac didn't see a lot of minutes. Against UCLA, he was fourth among the starters. And against Colorado, he only played like 21 minutes, something like that. I don't know. Now, he doesn't have to play a million or zero minutes. It's, I looked at those numbers before I put the game on. And yeah, it all adds up. The first 10 play. The, the reason it's, this is an easy job for me to do, besides the fact that I'm really good at understanding basketball and I should be paid more, holler at the bosses. Just joking, I'm really good. Don't bite, bite the hand that feeds you. Uh, <laughs> it's really easy to do because the in-game announcers, what we do is so obvious that they have no choice but to talk about it. And in this last game, whatever the big man from Colorado was, he reminds me of a lot of dudes you see overseas, like clearly has some wonky game that works, and he'll get 30. <laughs> but he ain't doing it in the league, at least not looking like that. The announcers were like, he's unstoppable. Keep going to him. He's going to have his jersey number, 30, 44 points. The score was like 25 to 9, 10 minutes into the first half. Now, I look at little markers like that because that would be a quarter if they played the quarter system. They were on pace for 100 points. We were on pace for 36. <clears throat> we really consider that. That was, and this guy had like 14 of them. And then Dawes came out. And again, this pains me to say. It pains me to say. Pains me to say. That's me doing Stephen A. Smith three ways. Because <laughs> I'm trying to lighten the mood because I hate to say this. The problem was him, was AMAC. Bro, I, I can't find plus minus stats for the life of me online. If I could, I guarantee you he's, his ain't been great. When he came out of the game, considering, I think a lot of people would say, he is one of the best big men in the conference, at least numbers-wise. But when he came out, we were down 22-4 to four on points in the paint. 22-4. to four. In fact, again, the announcer said it, which is why I looked it up. Like, oh, dang, we really are down to 22-4. The announcer said we are down 18. There was still five minutes to go in the first half. And we were down 22-4. to four and paint points. But something else happened when Dawes came out. Cal went to zone. Like a real one. It wasn't some junk. It wasn't some BS. 
It was just a 2-3. They went to that zone. I want to say when they went to it, the score was 38-20, to 20, something like that. Um, I want to say it was soon 40-20 after that. Um, that was with like five minutes to go in the first half. The other team was on pace for 100 and ended up with 82. In fact, they were on a greater pace than 100 at a certain point. But basically, they held them to 40 points from that point to the rest of the game. That's a big thing to consider. I let that sink in for a second. Because not a lot of fans analyze the game that way. From these like time markers, that's why a lot of broadcasts use them. But they went to a just a 2-3 zone. And even with AMAC coming back in and out and like, you know, whatever, they held them to 40 points for the rest of the game. Sirs, ladies, that is not an accident. It isn't. It just isn't. And because they went to it so early... Something I highlighted a long time ago happened. Our guards, because they've been training, chasing fools around, doing figure eights all over the court, trying to catch up. (laughs) Well, they didn't have to do that anymore. So as the game wore on, who had the energy? It was us. This pains me to say. It pains me to say. One thing I saw in the comment section was, People asking, or they weren't asking me, they were kind of debating, well, AMAC gives us this on offense, and he gives us this in rebounding. How do you get rid of that? And some of the, let's call them well-informed among you, because I can't say who you all are, uh, we're trying to make the case that that doesn't matter. I'm on team that side. I always have been. I've always known it's a dilemma for coaches, though. Because when you build around a guy, that's like the last guy you want to get rid of. It's like the movie, uh, oh, by the way, get rid of is way too strong. To bench or to readjust or whatever. I don't want to let that run. But it's like the movie, um, uh, the one with Jamie Foxx. I'm blanking right now. (laughs) Any given Sunday. Or even like the movie The Replacements. They're both movies where it's like a new team comes in, there's a quarterback or whatever who's Replacing the, the legend, the all-pro. And the new guy is clearly not as talented, but that's not the point. He's definitely talented or the team rallies around him emotionally or whatever, 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 whatever. Um, but I've seen it play out in basketball too. Being the best at stats does not mean you're the best at basketball. First day I was in a camp with the Raptors. Sam Mitchell made sure to tell all of us not to go for steals. And we're all, you know, they brought in a bunch of defensive-minded guys. They knew who they were looking for. So we're like, how could you do that to us, Sammy Mitch? Sammy, my boy. He's like, last year we led the league in steals. What was our defensive rating? And obviously nobody knew that. He was like, second to last. My guys, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about. You can get these steals, but it's to the detriment of these other things that you can't see. 
to me, the points in rebounding that come with AMAC are not always worth it more than what we will get in continuity and defense uh, with other players in. And I got to give it to Cal. It was by committee. We had all sorts of dudes playing the big man, running the center of that thing, and it was... They rotated it. There was even one possession where they were clearly in zone, clearly in zone. There was a breakdown. And then they all found men, which to me is the, when I say found men, they like things got mixed up and they all just found someone to cover and then proceeded in man to man. That is the type of defense that it takes. And this also pains me to say. But next season, if we get a big man who can relatively score and move, it might be crazy. And I, the reason it pains me to say is because AMAC can score and he can rebound, but he can't move. And there are ways to help with that, but our team isn't good enough to necessarily cover that. That's not a knock. If you played for Arizona, you might be able to cover all these flaws. I'll tell you, our, our defense, a meet to mirror when I played, I think was worse at defense. Definitely didn't play as hard. Definitely wasn't as committed. But we had like a proven team of guys who'd played together. Like it wasn't this transfer stuff. It was like, hey, we got four seniors who've been here a long time who understand the system so well that we can help handicap while he gets there. This ain't that team. But I'm looking at next year. If anybody's been questioning Madsen, I have been steadfast on I don't know why this is happening and there are all these reasons. But I knew our offense looked tight. And I knew that the bench always seems engaged. That's another point about coming back from 20. But I'd be remiss if I also didn't say part of coming back from 20 when a guy like that sits is that a lot of people are like, thank you. Put me in. I told you that was not good for us, whether it's right or wrong. You know, players are wrong all the time. They might sub in and be like, thank you, and then come in and shoot 0 for 9, and it's like, you were never right, guy. But in this case, it seemed everybody rallied. I don't know. I have to revisit it. Uh, I guess I do have it on in the background. But I have to revisit, like, certain specific moments of, like, because, again, our bench looks so into the game. Is AMAC into it when he's on the bench? I don't know. These are the things coaches would look for. And, again, I, this is all speculation based on what I see. I can be all wrong. And it's all over the place because there's so many things that happened this last game. My brain can, can hardly contextualize them all. But Madsen is coaching a good defense if he's putting that product out. If the bench is super excited, if we have the skill offensively to come back, if we have guys on the bench who can fill the role immediately and get it done, if, as I mentioned before, our on-ball defense is that good already. The only holes seem to be strategy, but 
I mentioned it could be personnel, and in this case, it seems like it is a little bit. Someone else asked about in the comment section about uh, what I think of Amax rebounding in general. He's obviously a fantastic rebounder. I think he's someone who's maximized his body in ways that like really deserve a goddamn medal. However, his rebounding is very much a stationary rebounding style, meaning he has to get the space, usually by like moving an opponent out of the way. Uh, but he's still a taller guy, so doing it with like a higher body frame. And then, you know, the ball lands in his vicinity, etc. That's great. Against me, as someone who is a great rebounder, he'd probably still hit his number. Uh, just knowing how the ball bounces and how the game works. But those numbers drastically shift if that player is put in other positions that he's not accustomed to. Say the center of a 1-3 of a one, run. One. Say running a ton of pick and rolls and popping. Uh, because now their position is generally away from anywhere they normally do work, whereas, you know, let's say like a, hypothetically like a Balo from Arizona might then sprint in and get a lot of these rebounds. Um, especially offensive rebounds when you start further, further than three or four feet away from the basket because those offensive rebounds means you have to run in to get them, which is fine. AMAC, I'm sure, is more than capable of that and does it sometimes. But you're not going to do it consistently if you're not that good foot speed-wise to now catch your man going back. Uh, and I think that's been missing uh, in terms of, I guess, if he was the perfect rebounder. But nobody's perfect. And a lot of the things he does, I wasn't really capable of. Like holding space that well, because I was just skinnier. It was always a push and pull. I'll end this by saying, every day I watch Jalen Tyson, he reminds me more and more of Joe Ship. He obviously played a fantastic game. I just didn't want to leave that without credit. Again... Though, doesn't he seem a little more smooth when there's different personnel in the game? When the middle's not clogged up? I mean, have you even considered why AMAC pick and pop so much as it is? It seems to me maybe there's not, like, room for both of them in that paint area. And, again, that's not a charge to AMAC or to Tyson. That is where coaching kicks in. you got to figure out a way. Because they're both excellent. But Tyson clearly, with that middle open, is like, I'm just going. So I don't know. I guess let me know in the comments what you think. Uh, and before I dip, if you haven't read Different Dude yet, it's blowing up, son. It's blowing up everywhere. But it's also on Spotify now. You can just go listen to it for free. I don't understand Spotify's business model. It doesn't make sense to me. They must be buying down these books because I'm still getting paid for it. It's not a lot because they take their royalties like everyone else. But if you buy it on Audible, it doesn't really change much for me as if you get it on Spotify for free. So you might as well go listen to all my stories for free. Until next time. Peace.